It's time now for the complete story of public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Well, you know, folks, life and then liberty, that's freedom, and then the pursuit of happiness. Uh, these are the things that America uh, stands for and was founded upon, and it starts with life. Now, with what's happening on the Supreme Court now and the fact that it's already accepted to hear Roe versus Wade all over again and all of that, Rich, wouldn't you suppose that something huge that took place in Washington last week would be on the news, but it wasn't. Yes, and you certainly think so, but it's sometimes what they don't cover that's the most important. It's what they don't cover, folks. That is what really is important and, and what you should know about. Now, how long have they had the, the March for Life in Washington uh, every year, Rich? Well, since Roe versus Wade, which is almost 50 years ago. All right. And last winter, of course, because of COVID and everything, they didn't have it. But this year they did. And I was so interested how many people were there. Because every city had its local gathering in March and how many were in Washington? And I had to call officials in Washington to find out there were more than 150,000 people there. And yet the news essentially ignored it. But the huge crowd, that gives you hope. Yeah. Well, that's what we hope people listen about Radio Network, to get the rest of the news, as Paul Harvey used to say. Now, Jeannie Mancini is the president of the March for Life. And she was opening the big rally. Let's hear what she had to say. The theme of the March for Life is equality begins in the womb. The word equality is something that we're hearing a lot these days, but it's rarely defined. So we're talking about it around the dinner table. We're hearing about it in the halls of Congress. Whether it's about racial injustice or whether it's COVID-19, we're hearing a lot about equality. And these are topics that need to be discussed. And the truth is that we are all equal in dignity, regardless of skin color, disability status, socioeconomic background or stage of life, including the earliest stages in life. Every life has inherent human dignity and every life matters. Every life should be protected from the moment of conception or fertilization. To quote Martin Luther King, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Equality begins in the womb. Nearly 49 years ago, tomorrow, on January 22nd, 1973, our country was forever changed for the worse when seven men on the United States Supreme Court handed down Roe v. Wade, marking American history and expanding abortion to all 50 states, legalizing abortion through all three trimesters until birth. We are hoping and praying that this year, 2022, will bring a historic change for life. The very fact that you're here in very cold weather, in blizzards and government shutdowns, even in pandemics, 
speaks to the fact that you are marching for the single most critical human rights abuse of our time. And I'll tell you what else it shows. Roe is not settled law. Your witness, the hundreds of thousands of you going before the Supreme Court every year shows more than anything that I can think of 49 years later that Roe is not settled law. Your presence makes a difference. Thank you. Uh, settled law. Brown versus the Board of Education had been ruled on in the Supreme Court, but they had to go back and reverse that decision, didn't they? That's right. It wasn't settled until they did the right thing. That was the Plessy versus Ferguson that they reversed in Brown versus Board of Education. All and right. then there was the Dred Scott decision as well. Oh, man. And you know, his great, great granddaughter is one of our wonderful radio listeners in St. Louis right now. Lynn Jackson. Lynn Jackson, uh, the great, great granddaughter of Dred Scott. My goodness, wonderful Christian. I have thought the crazy politicians, they always have their finger in the wind to see what public opinion is about. And yet the church is supposed to do the right thing. The church is supposed to stand for the least of these. It's the church and the apathy of the church that kind of keeps it from finding its voice and speaking out as it should. Listen to this. Let the church be the church. Let the people rejoice. For we've settled the question. We've made our choice. Let the anthems ring out. Songs of When the church is alive and well, uh, the people rejoice, don't they? That's right. That's what gives me so much hope when such a large crowd shows up for the March for Life. Um, friends, we have talked about abortion and the life of the unborn child, and we have had medical, uh, we have had unbelievable evidence and everything on this program. But you know, it's the apathy of people. I just don't care attitude. And we want the people to get on their high horse, as it were, and start caring about the least of these. Rich, what did the Lord have to say about if you love God, then look out for your brother? Well, when he was asked, which is the greatest commandment, he said that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. And then he said, the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ah. And on these two hang all of the law and the prophets. See, it's so easy for people to say, well, I don't believe in abortion, but after all, I just don't understand about this other child. So today, I wanted our listeners once again to hear from a preacher on this subject. We have medical people that have, that have been on the program. We've had all kinds of different ones. I want the people to hear from a preacher, Dr. Lawrence White, of Houston, Texas, at Our Savior and Lutheran Church. Uh, by the way, this was also brought in the Baptist Seminary, wasn't it? Whenever people hear his message, that's the one they're hungry for. 
That's the one we always get comments on galore and in the listener comment line. So I want to use that to remind the people what the pastor said about this subject. I've been traveling across the length and breadth of this great land over the last few years, talking primarily to pastors groups, seeking to awaken and arouse God's spokesmen among us to be what God has called them to be, to preach his word without apology, without hesitation, without reluctance. And so I was very pleased to have the opportunity to take my two sons, Adam, who's 23, and Aaron, who's 20, with me on a trip to Germany. As a Lutheran Christian, that's where my historic and theological roots are, and I wanted the boys to see where they came from and to get some context, I guess you could call it, a setting in which to evaluate and assess what's happening in our country and in their lives. And so we flew out of Houston on Christmas Day. We landed in Berlin, and one afternoon we rented a van, and we drove out into the countryside about 35 kilometers or so northeast of Berlin to a little farming community called Oranienberg. Not much there, a couple of taverns, a couple of gas stations, a few houses. That's about it. Nobody would ever have heard of that little town were it not for the fact that Heinrich Himmler chose Oranienberg as the site of one of his prototype concentration camps. A horrible place called Sachsenhausen. That means the home of the Saxons. I took the boys there that day because I wanted them to see what had happened to this great Christian nation, this homeland of the Reformation, almost overnight. And the boys grew quiet as we walked across the vast expanse where the barracks once stood that held hundreds of thousands of prisoners. During the 12 years of the Hitler Reich, we saw the bales of human hair and the piles of children's shoes. We went to the medical laboratories where gruesome experiments were conducted on living human beings without anesthetic because they were not viewed as human because of their race or their language. And finally, we walked to the back, where far in the corner, the crematorium once stood, the oven where they burned the bodies of the dead. And out in front of it was a grotesque wrought iron statue of two emaciated inmates hauling the dead body of one of their cohorts toward the gaping doors of the oven. The building itself had actually collapsed. They'd buried so many people underneath it that the foundations had been undermined. But the metal supports that once held those ovens were still there. And as we came up there, three days after Christmas, in front of the doorway to that crematorium, there was a withered Christmas wreath with a white ribbon on it. And the slogan on that ribbon said, from the Christians of Germany, we kneel before God in bitter regret and humble repentance, and we ask his forgiveness for the Jews and all the others who died in this place. And as we turned to walk away, out across the compound once again, my 20-year-old Aaron put his arm around me in the condescending way that sons have with their fathers. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, you need to keep giving those speeches that you've been giving. And I felt good. Because for the first time, my boys understood within the depths of their hearts what's happening in America today. But there in Sachsenhausen, for the very first time, 
they saw for themselves how much is at stake in our America and how desperately important these issues are and how much we stand to lose if we do not awaken and rouse ourselves quickly. That the people of God in Christ cannot disengage from the culture in which they live. We cannot withdraw to the comfortable security of our beautiful sanctuaries and sit in our padded pews while the world all around us goes to hell. For to do so is a betrayal of the Lord whose name we bear. And it is a denial of the power and the efficacy of his word, the word that he has given us to proclaim. In Germany, as here in the United States, one of the most clever tools in the enemy's arsenal used to silence and intimidate Christians, to drive them out of the public square, was the lie of the separation of church and state. There was a meeting held in the German capital city of Berlin in 1934. Hitler had been chancellor for just over a year at that point. He was taking the nation through a process which in German was called Gleichschaltung, that means coordination. Everything was being realigned in terms of national socialist philosophy, and that included the churches. And protests had begun to rise from the people of God about this interference in the church and its life. And so Hitler called together the most important preachers in the land, and he gathered them there at the Reichschancellery to reassure them and to intimidate them, if he could, to silence their criticism so that he could go on with his plans for the country. And Hitler moved through the crowd that day, patting the preachers on the back, making them feel important, smiling and reassuring. He told them their state subsidies would continue, their tax exemptions were secure, that the church had nothing to fear from a Nazi government. And finally, one brash young preacher who was there, Martin Niemöller was his name, had had enough. Today we'd call him politically incorrect. He was going to tell the truth, even if that truth was not popular. And he pushed his way to the front of the room until he stood eye to eye with the German dictator. And he said, Herr Hitler, our concern is not for the church. Jesus Christ will take care of his church. Our concern is for the soul of our nation. It was immediately evident that the brash young preacher spoke only for himself as a chagrin silence fell over that room and his colleagues hustled him away from the front. Hitler, with a natural politician's instinct, saw that reaction and he understood exactly what it meant and he smiled as he said to himself almost reflectively, the soul of Germany, you can leave that to me. And they did. They kept their religion and their politics strictly separate from one another. And as the innocent were slaughtered and the nation was led down the path to destruction, they looked the other way and they minded their own business and their country was destroyed. I would submit to you today that we in America find ourselves in a frighteningly similar predicament. Once again, the innocent are being slaughtered in a 26-year holocaust that makes Hitler look like a humanitarian by comparison. Once again, the nation is being led down the path to destruction. And once again, by and large, God's people are looking the other way. I don't have to tell anyone in this room tonight 
how far down that path to destruction we've already traveled. You see the evidence in families that are fractured and marriages that are broken in young people that lose their way and often their lives in a maze of alcohol and drugs in a culture that can no longer distinguish between lust and love that is willing to tolerate the vilest perversion as alternate acceptable lifestyle while pestilence stalks the land in public schools that have become facilitators for fornication and procurers for the abortionist knife in a nation that has lost the moral will to distinguish between that which is right and that which is wrong we know all too well how far down that road to destruction we have already gone and that's because in large part every time a Christian particularly a Christian pastor raises his voice on a matter of public policy the immediate hue and cry from the media from the political and educational elite and establishment is wait a minute we have the separation of church and state in this country you Christians you keep your morality to yourselves as history repeats itself, they smile reassuringly as they tell us the soul of America. You can leave that to us. And we have. Brothers and sisters, the time has come and is long since past when we stopped listening to and being immobilized by these lies from the father of lies. This is the genius of America. The recognition that a country like ours, a country where the people rule, must be a country where morality prevails. But that's not the kind of country that we have seen developing all around us every day. That's not the kind of country we read about when we pick up the newspapers every morning. America has forgotten who she is. And if she does not remember soon, it will be too late. In the 1830s, a French nobleman named Alexis de Tocqueville came from Europe to this new land to see what it was that gave America its vitality and its strength. And he toured across this country. He saw all that there was to see. And when it was done, he summed it up in these impassioned words. He said, I sought the key to the greatness and the genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields, in her boundless forests, in her rich mines, in her vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution, but it was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understood the secret of her genius and her power. America is great, de Tocqueville said, because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, then she will also cease to be great. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is an offense to any people. There is that indissoluble connection between greatness and goodness upon which this country was built. We have severed that connection over the last few decades. We have sown the wind of immorality and we are reaping the whirlwind of destruction and death. And we, God's people in Christ, have been placed here by the Lord for such a time as this. 
America will not turn from the path of destruction until the Christians of this land stop blending in and going along. We have become a chameleon church. We can blend in anywhere. We can go along with anything, no matter how perverse it may be. Just so long as no one figures out that we are sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. For then we might have to endure the scorn and the ridicule of the world. We must stop compromising and yielding. We must be sure that it is the Lord Jesus for whom we stand. But of this one thing we can be absolutely certain. The Lord God Almighty hates the murder of innocent unborn children. We can win the next election or the next 10 elections. We can balance the budget, we can reduce the deficit, we can bring down taxes and build the mightiest military machine on the face of the earth. But if we do not stop abortion, then God will destroy and God should destroy America. Abortion is an unholy altar that we have raised up to pagan gods of our own lust and greed and the blood of more than 35 million innocent unborn children cries out to God for justice from the ground of America. And the day is coming soon when God will heed that cry. And when he does, woe to us. On that great day of reckoning, it will not be enough to say, Lord, we were in church every Sunday. We built great churches in your name. We raised millions of dollars in your name. On that great day of reckoning to those who stood silent while the killing went on, the Lord will say, depart from me, you cursed ones, for I do not know you. But in the amazing grace, the incredible mercy and long-suffering of our wonderful God, that day has not yet come. America may have turned her back on God, but God, for some reason, has not yet turned his back on America. So let us work while it is still day, before the night comes, when no man can work. Let us rouse the Christians of this city and of this land to be what God has called and enabled them to be, the stinging salt that stops the decay of death, the shining light that dispels the darkness of doubt and despair, the gleaming city set high upon a hill, that stands as a beacon light of life and hope to this nation and to every nation. Let us learn from the mistakes of the past. Let us stand upon the word of God. Let us save this country that we claim to love. As we become involved in the process, in this crucial moment that God has given us. God is placing before us a challenge before it is too late, and I pray that we will find within the depths of our hearts and souls the courage and the faith to rise to that challenge and make the most of that opportunity. It is within our power because God has placed it there. It is within our grasp to change this America before it is too late, to snatch our country back from the brink of destruction. All the signs of the deadly decay all around us are unmistakably clear our nation's leaders wallow in decadence and deceit while the polls tell us that the people don't care and apathy and indifference prevails we must care as the people of god
in Christ. We must be the salt and the light and the shining city. As Christians gathered here today, let us resolve not to repeat the mistakes of the past. Let us resolve not to allow evil men to triumph simply because good men have done nothing. Let us stand together as the people of God, bold in the confidence of the Spirit, and declare before our nation the soul of America. You can leave that to us. Thank you. Well, Rich, Rich, is that a challenge? Is that a challenge? Dr. Lawrence White, that is a powerful you know message what? for today. I'll tell you what, our pulpits need more. Lawrence White's. Our pulpits from the east to the west, from the north to the south, need more Lawrence White's because he was challenging the people. First of all, to know, do their research, to realize this is a living, unborn human child that is developing the same way the rest of us do, born or unborn. And do we care? Right. And speak up. Don't be silent. And right. vote. Now listen, folks. Uh, I, want to, I want you to enjoy a couple of these listener comments that you've called in on the listener comment line. And uh, let's just go through them quickly. Um, my name is Angela, and I had two abortions at a young age. And I am totally against it. I feel like parents will guide their children into this decision, and it's not a positive decision. I believe that Satan is stealing the seed. And it happens five children after that. I have five living children. And praise God, I didn't abort them because children are so beautiful. They are the joy of our world, the light of our world. Forgive me, Lord, for ever doing such a thing. Thank you for Buck Radio Network. Amen. 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 God bless Here's you, Angela. One. Here's another one. Buck Radio, I just want you to know that you saved my life in so many different ways. When I'm having some bad times or spiritual warfare, God will have me turn on Bot Radio, and it will be exactly what I need to hear at that moment or, the, or how to get through it or how to work through the issues and the problems. I just think you guys are a blessing to so many, and I share your app. I share your sermons. I don't have a favorite because I just let God guide the whole thing. Thank you for being there. Well, we just love the Lord's people. Here's another one. This is Rhonda from Missouri. I just wanted to let you guys know that you guys have been such a blessing to me. So many years I've listened to you guys. I've got you on my radio, in my car, all through my house, everything, my phone. I love you guys. You guys are such a blessing. All right, Rich, Amen. What's God bless you, dear lady. Number, Our listener comment line is 1-800-345-2621. We'd love to hear from you. Please call 1-800-345-2621. This is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Coming Story with my son, Rich, and we'll see you later. 